You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking details about a police incident in South Surrey. And we are just receiving word that it has wrapped up in the last few minutes. Emergency vehicles racing to the scene a couple of hours ago. RCMP confirming they were called to the 1300 block of 176th Street for a report of a distraught person. As you can see, multiple police units, including heavily armed officers, were on scene. Traffic north and southbound along 176th between 8th and 16th Avenues was closed and motorists were being rerouted as a precaution. But all traffic is now back to normal. That happening in just the past few minutes. Police not revealing exactly what happened or how it was resolved. But they do say there are no safety concerns for the general public. Now, a teenager is undergoing reconstructive surgery for potentially life-altering injuries. He was hit in the face after confronting a thief who allegedly stole his longboard. Kylie Stanton has more on where it happened and who police are looking for. A blood stain on the concrete is out of place next to these swings and monkey bars. It's usually very, very quiet here. Yeah. But at around 9 o'clock Tuesday evening, this park became a crime scene. We saw three police cars, uh, an ambulance. This is the times we live in. A teenaged boy identified by family members online as Liam Dickey was with his girlfriend here at the Quadra Heights playground when two other teens approached them and took their long boards. When Dickey tried getting the boards back, he was struck with one. This is an assault with a weapon that left a young man with potentially life-altering injuries. It was certainly a vicious attack. Police won't say exactly what the life-altering injuries are, but on Facebook, Dickie's stepmother posted saying he has extensive amounts of swelling and suffered fractures in his face. Reconstructive surgery was scheduled for today. His sister, Danielle, echoing police, asking anyone with information to please share and keep an eye out. This is something we take very seriously, and it's very concerning. Police are looking for two Aboriginal male youths, roughly 15 to 16 years old. Both are described as being short, standing 5 foot 3 inches tall, with average builds. But they're also looking to speak with another man, witnesses say, was here to help the victim after the attack. And it's quite possible that that man may have information that he's not aware of that could be quite valuable. He's not a suspect in this incident. We're just really hoping to track him down. Tracking down the stolen longboard is also a priority. It was brand new and easy to recognize. The hope is to return it to this victim once he's out of hospital and ready to ride again. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A body found in a rural area of Pitt Meadows has now been identified. Investigators say 43-year-old Ian Roberts of Delta was the victim of homicide. His body found by a passerby in the 14500 block of Hale Road. Roberts was known to police and investigators believe his murder was not a random act. One of the priorities in any homicide investigation is to develop a timeline of the activities of the victim around the time of the murder. We need people who knew Mr. Roberts the best, the family members, the friends, the associates, who knew what he was doing um, this past weekend and into Monday morning to please come forward and speak with the IHIT to help our investigators fill in the blanks. 
The same day his body was found, Langley RCMP located a vehicle associated with Roberts, a 1996 GMC Jimmy in the area of 56th Avenue and Logan Avenue. Anyone with information is asked to call IHIT or Crime Stoppers. Well, the fight over the so-called school tax is getting personal in Vancouver. This week, a UBC professor who has been outspoken on the topic found himself caught in the crossfire with frustrated homeowners calling for his dismissal. Nadia Stewart has the details. Where is Evie? Angry over the proposed school tax, Vancouver homeowners rally with an aim to send a very clear message. But MLA David Evie wasn't the only one people here were angry with. I suspect that every donor to UBC in any significant amount lives in a home over $3 million. And we need to send them a message that we can't have professors like Davidoff teaching our children his ideology of entitlement and hate. That feeling echoed in emails sent to UBC's president about Thomas Davidoff. The associate professor has long since been vocal about housing policy in B.C., but his views, particularly about taxation and density, are drawing the ire of some Vancouver homeowners. In this email, Shaughnessy resident Andrew Webb asks, quote, how this American socialist transplant is crafting predatory tax policies for the government and robbing homeowners of unrealized gains is beyond me and beyond words. When I had my Canadian citizenship ceremony, uh, I was told that I not only had the right, but the obligation to try to make my community better. Davidoff says he isn't intimidated by the criticism. I might spur argument, and I, and I think that's great. Let's, let's have the argument. Tell me where I'm wrong, uh, but hopefully I bring some creative ideas, and I've, I've been very happy that governments have been receptive to what I've had to say. UBC is fully supporting Davidoff. In this letter obtained by Global News, the school's provost cites their commitment to academic freedom, saying, quote, calls to interfere with the communication of scholarly opinions amounts to a request to violate university policy. Respectfully, we cannot accede to such requests. I don't always agree with Tom, to be honest, um, but, you know, I, I'm happy that he's out there. Housing advocate Justin Fung says the idea of silencing the voices of academics in the conversation about housing is disconcerting. It makes for a better society. I think it makes for more informed decision making. And, um, you know, I think in the absence of that, we lose we lose a lot. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Well, just as the solar industry is starting to take off in this province, BC Hydro is mulling over clawing back an incentive for jumping on the green bandwagon. Right now, Hydro pays its customers for their surplus solar power, but that could soon be changed. Ted Trinecki tells us why. He's just installed solar panels on this bungalow, and like 1,400 other customers, more power is now being produced than used. That's the meter going backwards because a customer, and here you can see how many kilowatts the customer has pushed back to the grid. So they've sold that back to BC Hydro? Yes. But BC Hydro doesn't want most of the power it's buying back and has applied to the BC Utilities Commission to unplug the program. I think that basically now anybody willing to produce more than they consume, there's no more payback. So there's no more, you know, large-scale solar farms that we can have here in BC. The problem, according to Hydro, is a very few customers are making a business out of the existing program. Collecting $50,000 a year for power, Hydro really can't use. Part of the concern is that it might be a small problem now, but it could continue to grow. And the concern is that what happens when, when more and more customers get off the grid? Um, who pays for the infrastructure? Who pays for the maintenance of the infrastructure? 
because even large private solar arrays still rely on BC Hydro's grid. But critics say other utilities worldwide are finding ways to integrate renewable energy. If we're using a very simple mechanism like we have today, then that's true. It cannot be relied upon. It's quite common in Europe. Those grids can manage that type of power infrastructure quite easily. We can do the same. We can learn from them. We can use their management systems. This is also a very small problem. To put it into perspective, when one cruise ship docks at Canada Place and plugs into shore power, the fact is that all the solar power now installed in B.C. wouldn't be enough to power it. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Some dicey moments in Victoria today when a front loader tipped through a fourth floor window of a building. The crew was apparently moving a carpet at the time, attempting to unload it out the window when the weight of it tipped the machine and left it dangling. It happened at the old customs house in downtown Victoria. The heritage building is currently being renovated for luxury condos. Greenpeace activists climbed on top of a Kinder Morgan drill in Delta today to condemn the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project. And while police were on the scene and the protesters eventually came down, Jill Bennett explains why they won't be facing any charges. Shortly after 2 p.m., the protest comes to an end with a smooth rappel and cheers from a small group of supporters. It feels really powerful to um, yeah, be able to stand on something so tall and so um, significant. Mary Lovell and Laura Yates, both with Greenpeace, climbed onto the tunnel boring equipment around 4 a.m. after they say they tracked it from Germany to where it's being stored off Kinder Morgan property by a third party on Delta's Tilbury Industrial Park. We're here today um, to call attention to the fact that this drill has been moved here. Delta police were on hand during the protest, but say because the pair didn't break and enter, didn't get in the way of the staff, and left before the business closed for the day, they won't be charged. But some watching from neighboring businesses say they still have questions for the protesters. These are professional protesters, and we should find out who's, who's funding their protest. Our message to British Columbians is uh, we encourage people to make their voices heard lawfully. We encourage people to uh, obey the rule of law in British Columbia. We are government. That's our job. We're lawmakers. In a statement, Trans Mountain says the incident has not impacted normal operations of the existing pipeline or construction activities related to the expansion project. What impact do you think you had doing this today? Definitely. Um, today we had over 70,000 people engage with this story and understand um, that like that resistance is building, resistance will continue. It's unclear, though, if that means more protests on top of the tunnel boring machine as Kinder Morgan's May 31st deadline for certainty approaches. Jill Bennett, Global News. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the federal government's move today to join B.C. in court, Keith, as the province asks its reference question on that Kinder Morgan project. Yeah, this is a big constitutional fight, Sophie. So B.C.'s in the B.C. Court of Appeal arguing uh, the B.C. government should have the right to regulate the flow of, of heavy oil and bitumen through B.C., not blocking the pipeline or the tankers, but simply determining how much oil can actually flow. Uh, the uh, federal government unexpectedly today announcing it was going to uh, intervene in that court case and assert its own jurisdictional authority. Catherine McKenna, the Environment Minister, catching up with reporters today saying she's very confident that her government uh, has the constitutional authority to determine what happens with that pipeline and not BC. 
The project has 157 conditions. Uh, we've made historic investments in the Ocean Protection Plan as a result of discussions with the previous government who approved this project. Um, and also, we've clear we've been doing science um, on spill response and oil spills. So we're clear this is within our jurisdiction. Uh, we believe this is a good project that should go ahead. Um, and uh, I will be uh, in BC next week. Looking forward to that visit. So Ottawa is going to be in court fighting against BC. Alberta, the Alberta government already announced it wants to go into that court case as well. So Sophie, I think it's going to be a fairly crowded courtroom when that case actually is heard. And we don't know of a date uh, quite yet mm-hmm. when that's going to happen. All right, Keith, thanks for that. BC municipalities are trying to put the brakes on a move by the province to claw back traffic fine cash from local governments. Right now, the province allows municipalities to collect 100% of the net revenue that comes from traffic enforcement. But the NTP government has put them on notice that it wants to renegotiate the terms. It argues new measures like red light and speed cameras will bring in more revenue and be less taxing on local police. So the province should get a larger cut to recoup costs and fund its own safety programs. I'm surprised that the province needs to claw back revenue uh, from municipalities in order to cover their own costs or to find new revenue sources. They really should be looking elsewhere than municipal, uh, municipal government because we're, we're strapped. I believe it was in March where David Eby said that that money will be going to the municipalities. Obviously, they've done a, a complete turnaround on this. They see this as another revenue stream coming into government, and I think that's wrong. Municipalities got more than $53 million from traffic fine revenue for 2017-2018. The current agreement has been in place since 2005. But first, a popular North Shore hiking trail has become a victim of its own success, according to the District of North Vancouver. And so they're cracking down. Aaron MacArthur has the details on how they plan to control crowds at Deep Cove's Quarry Rock. The hike, not quite hard enough to discourage the casual walker. And its payoff at the top has become one of the most Instagrammed photos of the region. As a result, Quarry Rock is busy. Hundreds, sometimes thousands of hikers from everywhere descend on this trailhead every day. It's beautiful, it's just busy. There's always like a line of people just going up and down. How many people are up there today? Uh, over a hundred. A lot. Are there? The last few years, the number of hikers has become an issue. If you ask locals, getting around Deep Cove can be a struggle. People parked wherever they can find spots. It makes living in Deep Cove sometimes uncomfortable. Oh, I've lived here 12 years. Uh, when I moved here, it was peaceful. Now it is just absolute chaos. What's it like in July yeah. around here on a weekend? Oh, it's, it's absolute madness. The District of North Vancouver has trekked into the debate, spending $90,000 to hire more staff to ticket illegal parkers and additional ranger staff to spread out demand for the trail. Staggering start times making sure everyone who wants to can enjoy the park. Our residents have have reached the point in time when if they can't even get in their own driveway or their driveway's blocked coming home, uh, many of our residents find on a Saturday and Sunday they can't get home. New rules for Quarry Rock and Deep Cove start this month, ahead of the May long weekend. Expect information about the status of the trail and the parking online. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The man who has been the public face of the Vancouver Aquarium is calling it a career. President and CEO John Nightingale announcing in a letter to Aquarium members that he's retiring at the end of this year. 
Nightingale has been in charge of the popular tourist attraction since 1993 and was only the second person to hold that position in its 62-year history. Nightingale oversaw major growth and dealt with major controversy over keeping whales, porpoises and dolphins in captivity. BC's air ambulances can now fly at night now that their pilots have been equipped with night vision technology. The provincial government says it's spending $1.7 million to enable air ambulances to transport patients in nighttime and low light conditions. Three of BC's four air ambulances have night vision now, and the fourth will get it later this year. Residents of one of Metro Vancouver's most popular recreational playgrounds are fighting a proposed industrial development on their doorstep. As Linda Aylesworth reports, they're angry that the company behind an application for a quarry has already begun some preparation, despite having no official go-ahead. Harrison Hot Springs is one of BC's top tourist destinations. 600,000 travel here every year. It's a very serene, unique place. With natural hot springs, it's known for healing, it's known for being quiet. But many in this community worry that that might soon change. You're going to have these tandem trucks pulling out there day in and day out. They're talking about a gravel quarry proposed by TC Merritt Valley Farms for this site, along Hot Springs Road, just one kilometre away from Harrison Hot Springs. They declined to speak to us, but the friends of Agassiz and Harrison Hot Springs did not. Up on that portion of the mountain, uh, they plan to be doing blasting um, and basically taking gravel and sand kind of materials for the next 13 years. They have yet to secure government approval. Even so, work on an access road right through ALR land and up the side of the hill has begun. The concern? The noise from the blasting, the crushing, the grinding of aggregate materials plus the spreading of silica dust, which is a known health hazard. There's also concern about an endangered fish called the Salish sucker that lives downstream. If the dust and runoff from the crushing activities were to get into the stream, um, the little particles would make it hard for them to lay eggs and breathe. And then there's the additional traffic along the two-lane highway that leads in and out of Agassiz and Harrison Hot Springs. Well, we're looking at about 20 trucks per day coming out. Uh, that's going out. Now, 20 trucks per day are also coming back in again. Over 3,000 signatures have been collected on an online petition, another 1,500 going door-to-door, asking the Ministry of Energy and Mining to deny the gravel quarry application. As a leader of the community, we're doing everything we can to support this group, the Friends of Agassiz Harrison, to stop this gravel quarry from happening. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Newly released security video shows the shockingly close call involving an Air Canada plane that nearly landed on a crowded taxiway. It happened at San Francisco International Airport last year. The video, released by the National Transportation Safety Board, shows how easily this could have ended in the worst aviation disaster in history. Investigators now trying to determine why it happened. Five minutes before midnight, July 8th, 2017, Air Canada Flight 759 is on approach to San Francisco International when the control tower clears the pilot to land. Only Air Canada 759 was not approaching a runway. It was actually closing in 
on SFO Taxiway C, where four planes were waiting. And in the front of that line, a United Airlines pilot who saw disaster coming at about 160 miles per hour. Where's this guy going? He's on the taxiway. There's he on the go-around. And now, for the first time, we can see just how close these planes were to catastrophe. Watch as the Air Canada flight starts to pitch up for the go-around, passing just 51 feet over the next plane in line, Philippine Airlines Flight 115. Uh, United One, Air Canada flew directly over us. Yeah, I saw that guy. The NTSB released this video and loads of more information about the incident today, but no findings on what caused the confusion. In San Francisco, Wilson Walker. The Donald Trump administration is in turmoil tonight over comments made by Trump's new lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. The former New York City mayor is surprising everyone with confirmation that the president reimbursed a payment of hush money to a porn star. It's a great day. Tonight, presidential flip-flop. President Trump pressed about why he's reversed his account about the $130,000 payment to porn star Stormy Daniels. This after a bombshell, the newest member of the president's legal team, Rudy Giuliani, announcing for the first time the president reimbursed his personal attorney, Michael Cohen, for that hush money payment made to Daniels in the days before the 2016 election. It's not campaign money. No campaign finance violation. So they funneled it through the law firm. Funneled through the law firm and the president repaid it. Oh, I didn't know he did. Yep. The president initially claimed he knew nothing. Did you know about the $130,000 But for the first time today, tweeting he repaid Cohen through reimbursement. Daniels says the money was to keep her silent about a decade-old alleged sexual encounter with Mr. Trump, which the president denied today, calling the accusations false and extortionist. Today, Giuliani insisting the president only found out what his money was used for several days ago. So was the payment illegal? An independent watchdog group argues Mr. Trump broke the law by failing to disclose the loan on his presidential financial disclosures. And while Giuliani insists it was all perfectly legal because the money was used for personal, not political reasons, he may have stepped on his own message with this statement, indicating politics may have been at play. Imagine if that came out on October 15th, 2016, sure. in, in the, the middle of the you know last debate with Hillary right. Clinton. Legal analysts warned tonight. Uh, there was a, a knowing and willful attempt to evade campaign finance disclosure, and that could make the entire scheme a criminal activity. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the organization behind the Oscars, has expelled actor Bill Cosby and director Roman Polanski. Cosby was found guilty last week of three counts of aggravated indecent assault. Polanski fled the U.S. in 1978 after being charged with statutory rape of a 13-year-old girl. The Academy cites its new standards of conduct that were implemented following its expulsion of disgraced mogul Harvey Weinstein. It is the 20th anniversary of the Courage to Come Back Awards, celebrating British Columbians who've overcome adversity to inspire others. Tonight, in our first of a series of stories on this year's honorees, the winner of the youth category, Elisa was born with muscular dystrophy, which hasn't stopped her from raising $250,000 for children's charities. But it's her most recent life-changing battle that makes her an award winner. Lynn Collier reports. The name of 
my school is. Helping her younger sisters with homework is typical for Elisa. What's the next question? They don't see the wheelchair, just their sister. When the twins were only six months old, Elisa's left lung collapsed, leaving her fighting for her life. Oh, it was, uh, it was the hardest time of our lives. It's, it's indescribable, really. Um, the emotions, um, I don't even know how we got through it. That from a mother who has raised a child with congenital muscular dystrophy, diagnosed as a baby 22 years ago. But a collapsed lung was life-threatening, and suddenly everything before seemed easy. Elisa was facing a tracheostomy that would permanently hook her up to a machine to help her breathe and meant she would no longer ever be able to be alone. There was also a chance she would lose her voice and the ability to swallow. <laughs> Doctor came to me and said, Elisa, it's either you're going to die or... You have surgery and you can live. And for me, I honestly had to think about it. For my mom, she just told me it was no brainer. The surgery was a success. It's one of five Elisa has endured, but it was by no means easy. Now the machine is part of her. She can't breathe without it. She needs a caregiver around the clock to clean the tubes. But once the decision to have the surgery was made, there was no stopping her. I would say don't underestimate me. I, if you tell me not, that I can't do something, I will probably tell you otherwise, and I will do it better than what you thought I would do. Alisa graduated high school in 2014, and in spite of missing almost a full term being in hospital getting the trach done, she made up all the work. Her teachers were not surprised. They were used to Elisa's determination. I don't know if I could do what she does or she's had to do. I don't think I've got the, the guts or the stamina to put up with all the stuff that she's put up with. Elisa spearheads the Muscle Madness team every year, raising money for muscular dystrophy and inspiring others. She plans to finish college, maybe get her master's. In her words, the options are endless. It, it's not easy to, to face a lot of difficulties in life, but... If you persevere and um, just really try your best. You can always get through it with the, the right people and the right family. Uh, you can get through anything. Lynn Collier, Global News. A big fundraiser is about to get underway in downtown Vancouver tonight, attracting a big rock star for an important cause. And there he is. Chris Galis, our very own rock yeah, star one in of attendance the... <laughs> tonight. Uh, it's the Turning Point Recovery Society. Chris, you have a very special guest with you, the actual rock star. Absolutely. One of the biggest that there's ever been and an incredible golfer as well. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I am joined right now by super duper Alice Cooper, a real thrill for a lot of people involved uh, in this fundraiser tonight for Turning Point. It's so great to have you here. And I know that the story of recovery is a big one, big one in your life as well. Well, especially in my profession, you know, the ones that didn't uh, straighten out passed away. Uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin, they were all like my big brothers and sisters, and I watched them leave the planet at 27 years old. And it took a while, but I, uh, you know, 37 years now, sober. So. How, how did you do it? You know, it was, for me, it was, I got up one morning, and I threw up blood. And that was kind of a, kind of a, you know, wake-up call. Yeah. And uh, went into the hospital, and when I came out, I never had another urge to drink. So it, it was more spiritual, I think. I think God took it away from me. 
Well, th thankfully, you straightened out, and I know your wife likes to joke now that uh, you traded one addiction for another addiction, and we're talking about golf now. We had a great day uh, today together, and that really has become a passion for you in your life. I play six days a week for the last 37 years, and it's, you know, I've kind of let that be my addiction. You know, in other words, I have an addictive personality, so I, I have to find things that, that are positive to be addicted to. So that, that's one of the things that I never get tired of the game. Well, you know. recognizing that is victory, and uh, we appreciate your time to this organization and, uh, and uh, all of the love that you bring to what you do on a daily basis. We appreciate it, Alice. Well, thank you so much. Rock and roll is another addiction. Can't, get, can't, can't shake it. <laughs> thank goodness. All right, thanks, Alice. And uh, Turning Point Recovery Center obviously needs your help, too. Look it up online. Uh, looking forward to a great event tonight, raising money and helping people make recovery a reality. Sophie? Oh, I'm so fangirling right now. Alice Cooper. Have fun, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. Still on that golf theme, a pro golfer with a soft spot for romance. This is Andrea. Justin. Hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs> PGA golfer Justin Thomas chats with a couple in the gallery at the PGA event in North Carolina. How it turned into a life-changing event for that couple right after the forecast. And Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at our weather forecast. It was another beautiful day. And we have more on the way, but a little blip to get through, Christy. A little blip, yes. I'm glad you said it, Sophie. Thanks so much. Yeah, just a small one, and then we rebound, everyone. This is a scene out there right now. It was a beautiful day, despite the fact we did see a little bit more cloud cover. 22 degrees, though, uh, inland, away from the water, about 18 near the water. Here's a look at the Dawson Creek area, also like spring there. This photo from uh, Dee Grindel, and that's her husband there, uh, out there uh, blowing the snow away. So spring snow removal happening right now. It's only four 14 degrees in that area right now, but your weekend is going to be phenomenal. 19 to 20 degrees all weekend long with straight sunshine. Now, today further south, hitting 26 degrees in many areas. The hot spot across Canada at 26.2 was litten today. There's your forecast, everyone, and the reason why we're seeing the cloud cover right now, there is a bit of a system that's going to push on shore. We'll see mainly cloudy skies with a slight chance of showers across the south coast and a band pushing from Prince George down to just in to Revelstoke and areas like uh, Kamloops tomorrow. So a chance of showers for you through your Friday as well. But then Saturday, things clear out fairly nicely. So just a quick look at the south coast, sort of a zoomed-in look. You can see the showers mainly up towards Campbell River, Comox, and along the Sunshine Coast. And for the lower mainland, it will be mainly near the North Shore Mountains. Most other areas overcast skies with just a slight chance of showers. There's your rain forecast. You can see even in the areas that will see the rain, we're talking two to four, maybe five millimeters of rain. That's it for your Friday. And then we're back to sunshine on Saturday. Rainfall for the north coast, further inland, Prince George and Quinell. You will see showers through the afternoon hours, and that touches down into Kamloops, Revelstoke as well. Further south, you will see some cloud cover, but that should be about it. So south coast, areas like Victoria, Vancouver, mainly dry, but still a 40% chance of showers. It's mostly areas further north than that that have the best chance of showers. And there's your five-day forecast. Sunshine Saturday, Slight chance of showers on Sunday, but still a ton of sunshine in the mix there. So not a bad weekend in store for us. And I'll leave you with this spectacular shot from Victoria. Look at the colors Beautiful. of spring. Mm -hmm. That is lovely. All right. Thanks, Christy. Pro golfer Justin Thomas took some time out from trying to win another PGA event in North Carolina to help with an epic proposal. Andrea? Yes. This is Andrea. Andrea. 
Justin. Hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Andrea Cota was surprised when her boyfriend Sean Powell waved Thomas over to the ropes and he walked over to chat. She soon realized it wasn't just a spur of the moment thing when Thomas handed Sean a golf glove and gave her a golf ball. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! <laughs> On that ball, the words were written, Will you? And then Sean pulled an engagement ring out of the glove. Luckily, after all those advanced preparations, she said yes. Oh my gosh, It said, Will you title us two? Will you title us too? Yeah. And she was like, what ball. does that even what mean? What is this? I, what do you mean I want to, you know. So that's what she said yes to. You could have all these golf type poetic, please drive me down the fairway of life. Take oh, me out of wow. the rough. Oh, Oh, yeah. He's thought about this. Yeah. Take me out of the rough. Really? Is there something like we can tell? There's trial. something you want to tell us? No, no, I'm just saying that you could use all those. Uh, Jeans Day, yes. by the way. I'm Jeans Day, Jeans Day. Jeans Day. I'm not El Casual today. Well, he's got his jeans on too. Uh, yeah. And I've got my jeans like dress on. Very, it's, yeah, it's not really very, jeans, but. It looks very denim. It's got the denim color to it. Yeah, so, nice. for BC Children's Hospital, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Oh, we're so matchy matchy. Okay, I know go. We are. Yes. Oh, shall I begin? Yes, I yes. might. Begin right now. Uh, you may want to watch when Ladner's James Paxson is scheduled to pitch for the Seattle Mariners in a Mariners home game. It would really be worth the drive to go down and watch him. If you had done that last night, you would have seen a Canadian record broken by BC's latest Major League star. Quick start for James. They call him the Big Maple, and on this night, he laid the lumber on the Oakland A's. In a record-setting performance, Paxton struck out 16 hitters over just seven innings, the most punch-outs by a Canadian pitcher in a single game in Major League history. It was as simple as stay aggressive. You know, it was um, going right after him, not trying to be too perfect in the strike zone. It's, a, it's amazing. Um, and, you know, they, they know he's just coming after him, you know, with the fastball. But, you know, Pax has got some deception. He's got a really, you know, a steep angle. Um, and just being able to locate it down early, up late, going back and forth. with that's, that's a good hitting ball club over there. Paxton's numbers were staggering. 105 pitches, 80 for strikes. Only one of the nine A's in the starting lineup avoided striking out. Three of them went down three times each. He showed signs of dominating hitters like this last year when he was American League Pitcher of the Month for July and was in the Cy Young conversation until injuries sidelined his season. Swing and a miss for strike three. Paxton is only three strikeouts shy of his career best ten, and we played three. He's got that kind of stuff. Uh, not consistently go out and do it. No, that's what we need from him uh, to ultimately get where we want to go. And that's getting the playoffs. It's been quite the year for Paxton already, fighting off a bald eagle attack in Minnesota during the Twins' home opener, and now mowing down the A's like no Canadian pitcher ever has. It'll be a night Paxton will never forget. Unfortunately, his bullpen couldn't hold the lead, and Paxton didn't get the win. But keep pitching like this, and he'll keep his fans busy with their special K signs. Very delayed global sport. They're on their feet here at Safe Gold Field, a standing ovation as the. Instead of K's, it's A's. Actually, I think you'll remember the Eagle attack more than this night. Oh, that was. How can you forget an Eagle something. attack? Okay, Ichiro will not play for the Seattle Mariners anymore this year. Instead, he's going to work in their front office. But he's not retiring as a player, even though. 
it sounds like he's doing exactly what players do when they retire. They go to the front office. Ichiro is really just taking up a roster spot this year that could have been given to a better, younger player. Now it will be. He's not what he was. He was a hitting machine. He's a future Hall of Famer, but he's 44, although he does say he may play next year. All right, Raptors-Cavs tonight. This is game two. Raptors lost the first game in overtime, a game they should have won. First half, DeMar DeRozan finding a path, elevating, slamming. Wraps up by two at halftime, but if LeBron just gets a little bit of help, well, that's nice by Siakam. Great read by Pirtle and Siakam. Here's Love. If LeBron gets a little bit of help, which he will from Kevin Love, the help comes. That's, that's a big the Cavs become game. dangerous. Love had 31. LeBron had 43. And in the second half, the Cavs ran away from the Raptors. And now Toronto was down to Love in games three and four are in Cleveland. There's a former Canucks assistant, Mike Sullivan. Now, of course, coach the Penguins has won two straight Stanley Cups. They need this one, game four against the Caps. It's 0-0 second period. It's Jake Gensel at the side of the net, and it's 1-0. Now, check this out. Does this puck go in? There you see it there. And Jenny Malton jamming at it, but when you see the other replay, it does cross the line. It's a good goal, and that's a good game and a good win for Pittsburgh. They've tied the series. 2-2. BC Lions selected offensive lineman Peter Godber with their first pick in the CFL draft today. Third overall, played at Rice University. He has the ability to start right away for the Lions this year. They also got defensive lineman Julian Laurent in the first round. He was at Georgia State. Another guy who should be at training camp. Neither of those players has NFL tryouts set up. Okay, it's Tiger Woods. It's the Wells Fargo. First round. Tiger for birdie. From distance. Back back birdies if this was to go in. Uh, yep. But twice today, he missed short putts for Bird. Well, this is not super short, but you'd think he'd get it. No. So even par. Uh, Adam Havin plus two, Nick Taylor plus six. When I first walked. All right. Jay's in Cleveland. First of a doubleheader. How did this one end? Well, yeah, and Jervis Solardi didn't end it here, but he certainly put the game out of reach. That's a grand slam. He had a five-hit game. And Toronto won the first of two, 13-11 over Cleveland. So Toronto beats Cleveland in baseball, but loses to them in basketball. There you go. All right, Squire, thank you. How Vancouver Island has become one of the top destinations in the world for tourists looking for a certain kind of adventure. That's up next. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia? Yep, things are heating up, and I'm not just talking weather here. The Chilean Barbecue Festival will be smoking hot as it comes back to the Cascades Casino Resort in Langley. It's the oldest and largest barbecue contest in the country, so expect two days of tasty fun for the whole family. Be inspired to refresh your home and outdoor space at the Campbell River Spring Home and Wellness Expo. With countless exhibits and experts on hand, find what you need to create your dream home and improve your overall lifestyle.
Saturday, the Gaelic Society of Vancouver celebrates its 110th anniversary, and you're invited to celebrate. Join in on afternoon workshops in Gaelic language and music. Then stick around for dinner and a grand concert. Tomorrow's a pro-D day for some schools, and if you're wondering what to do with the kids, try a nature adventure. Discovery Days at Surrey Nature Centre offers up activities and family fun, and like the beauty of nature itself, it's free. Take it easy or take it to the limit next week as the Eagles take over Rogers Arena. That's happening next Thursday night and tickets are still available for this tour that's been selling out stadiums and arenas across North America. For more on this, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. This program is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners, plus get the best roadside assistance. Okay, I know that you're afraid of heights. Yes, I am. Oh, this is the opposite of that, okay. but yeah. maybe not for you anyway, especially if you're claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. For those who can't get enough of what's down under, Vancouver Island is becoming one of the top destinations in the world. Kylie Stanton shows us why. Moving out of the light and into the darkness. I've got our Pixa 2 headlamps. Make sure it's, everything's working. Caving is one of the last frontiers of exploration. Where you can find yourself somewhere where no one's ever been before, seeing things no one's ever seen. And Vancouver Island is the place to do it. This is a caver's paradise. There's over 1,600 known caves here. More have been mapped and explored here than the rest of Canada combined. An underground world of crystals and fossils, often going unnoticed until it's time to descend. So lights on. All right, let's go. It's all challenge by choice. We want people to have a positive experience, leaving here loving caves, not fearing caves. With just one light, the walls come to life. Right above me here are some really beautiful drapery formations. Right over here is a stalactite we estimate to be around 35,000 years old. Every drop, part of a slow process that quickly puts things in perspective. Makes you feel you're only here for a second of time, maybe a blink. To think of how old it is and how long it's been here, it's It's just amazing. Now the key is protecting it by providing educational tours like this to raise awareness about their value. The pilot may look challenging. We're moving over river rocks, ducking under low ceilings moving through some narrow spaces. There's something satisfying in conquering these elements, making it through the dark and back into the park. All right, we're safe and sound, back above ground. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Horn Lake. 